the Black Scholars Podcast. BlackScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. How have you guys been? I miss you guys. This is episode 35. I am starting a new series dedicated to the stars slash Hulu documentary series called America to Me. So first, let me give you some backstory. It was created by Steve James, who also created Hoop Dreams and Life Itself. It was published in 2018, again via Stars. It's available via Hulu. Um, looking at the, so it focuses on Oak Park and River Forest High School. It's in Oak Park, Illinois. Oak Park, Illinois is a suburb on the west side of Chicago, and it's right on Lake Chicago, uh, on the shores of who's also an African-American male, Nathaniel Roos, um, about, you know, the whole Michael Brown trial, uh, as far as Darren Wilson, the officer who falsely or incorrectly or unethically killed Michael Brown, um, why wasn't he prosecuted by the grand jury? So wanting to do something different uh, in their five-year school improvement plan, um, it's always diversity. Every single year, it's always diversity, and I'll give you some history on that as well. So he wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something for his black students, so he decided to call a Black Lives Matter meeting. Okay, and it was exclusively for students of color. Well, this caused all types of backlash. Superintendent uh, received all types of calls and emails about the fact that white Caucasian students weren't allowed to attend this meeting. The reason why the principal did this is something called affinity grouping. And that's what the A, affinity grouping. And basically with that, it puts you in a comfortable space with people who look like you and allows you to be as open and candid and transparent and vulnerable as you want to be. That's exactly what happened. And it was a good opportunity for the principal and other school leadership to learn about the things that the students were going through. Some of the things that they discovered was that students were upset. There were a lack of black educators at the school. As you know, we account for, at least from the black male perspective side, 2% or less than 2% of the workforce. Also, black students felt like uh, they had to speak for the entire black community during classroom discussions. As a graduate of HBCU, 
but also being from Wisconsin and attending several PWIs at the undergraduate and graduate level, I can relate to that. It's extremely frustrating when you're looked at as the representative for an entire culture. Although we're only 13% of the population in the United States of America, we're talking about millions of people you don't know, and you're supposed to be representative for them, and it's not fair. Lastly, the students also felt extremely ostracized in advanced placement courses and AP courses. If you're going to do an assembly like that, make it a school-wide assembly. Make it something that everyone hears because potentially everyone could help solve any kind of problem. I guess they said that's not fair that nobody white was able to voice their opinion, but they're not going through the same stuff that we're going through. There are a lot of things you would assume that wouldn't have happened at this diverse school that did happen to kids and teachers. Like, sometimes I don't want to go to class because I know I'm, like, that only black kid in the class. And, like, little comments from white students, like, how did you get in this class? Every activity, every assembly, everything is made for white kids because this school was made for white kids because this country was made for white kids. They have to realize that some things just have to be ours. In this community, we mentioned race, all hell breaks loose. So according to the 2019 U.S. Census estimates, um, there's only about 53,000 people that live in this town. Again, it's a suburb of Chicago. The median household income is $91,945. There's 8% of that population in poverty, which I thought was extremely interesting considering the fact that it's a suburb and that median household income um, is is higher than normal. Um, The the median housing value is at $374,500. The percentage is 69.1% white, 18.3% black, and 8.8% Hispanic. 69.7% have at least a bachelor's degree. So I think we can fairly say that this suburb, this Oak Park suburb of Chicago, this small town, um, is fairly affluent based on those numbers. I'm still honestly a little shocked at the 8% and poverty, but as you watch the docu-series, um, you will see some of those students who aren't in the best living conditions. And you think, well, they're in the suburb. They should all be affluent and doing well. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Again, focusing on the city. Um, this is the birthplace of Ernest Hemingway, Frank Lloyd Wright, um, who was a famous architect. Ray Kroc, uh, the owner of or founder of McDonald's, the comedian Kathy Griffin, and the NBA um, player slash now he's starting to get into music. He's an artist, also the husband of the very talented R&B sensation Tiana Taylor, uh, Ahmad Shepard. Um, who's actually somewhat featured in this documentary um, because he did spoken word poetry. Um, And so this, again, is taking place on the west side of Chicago. You have this outcry uh, going on because this Black Lives Matter 
meeting that was, again, for students of color. Um, again, within that strategic plan, there's an emphasis on diversity. Uh, historically, the school has emphasized diversity, uh, and also the city as well, uh, at least in theory. So in 1968, there was the Open Housing Ordinance of uh, 1968, which was to integrate um, actual, you know, diversity uh, to combat against white flight. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, they also had a Declaration of Diversity in 1973, and they were designated a quote-unquote all-American city in 1976. So episode one, let's get into it. It's called What's the Big Deal About Oak Park? So there are several characters we're going to be introduced to um, during this series and as you watch the docuseries as well. For the first episode, we're introduced to several um, teachers. I like all of the teachers for the most part. Um, we're also introduced to an assistant principal who is African-American woman, uh, Dr. Holland, and she is fabulous. Um, and we're also introduced to several students. We got Grant. Uh, who's a freshman, he's biracial. Tierra, who's a sophomore who hates school. She has braces, she can sing, so she's in choir, and she's also a cheerleader, and she also lives with her older sister. Then we got Charles, who's a junior. He loves music, does spoken word, and uh, he's pretty much a comedian. He has a really close relationship with his mother. His father's not in the picture, uh, at least as far as this docuseries is concerned. Then we have Terrence, who's a junior. He's the oldest child. He's actually uh, Tierra's nephew. He's actually Tierra's nephew. And he's diagnosed with cognitive delay and ADHD. And he also has an IEP. He's very soft-spoken, doesn't say a lot in the docu-series. Um, but when he does speak, um, he seems very intentional with every word that he says. And last but not least, we have Kishon. Kishon is a junior. You've taught him before. Um, you know kids like this. You went to school with kids like this. You know, he's an attractive young guy, has a great smile, um, fashionable, but he's a goofball. He's also intelligent, but he plays off a lot in class. Um, he does the bare minimum to get by. And um, he's, a, he's an interesting character that we're going to focus on over this series. We see him in class, in chemistry class. He's asked to put on the ID by one of the two uh, chemistry teachers. And again, I question, does every one of these classes have two teachers? Um, they don't identify, at least as of yet, any special education teachers. So maybe that's what they're using in place of special education teachers, and that would be interesting to see the data based on that. And so uh, the secondary teacher, or excuse me, the second teacher in this class, who's also a chemistry teacher, um, is talking to the interviewees, or the interviewers, excuse me. And they're explaining how Kishan, he's explaining how Kishan struggled in class. He says, I don't think the work was a struggle for him. He just didn't achieve. And so I had to pause that and I had to reflect. How many times have we heard a teacher say that? And maybe you're guilty yourself. The work's not a struggle for him. He's very intelligent. He's very smart. He just didn't achieve. Well, why didn't he specifically achieve? Was it the homework? Did he, was there an absentee problem? Was he tardy all the time? Um, what interventions were provided for him? 
um, you know, what parental involvement was, you know, initiated and was sustained, um, what individualized work was it given, you know, in class and outside of class, were there tutoring opportunities? And I just took that as a lesson um, for all educators, regardless of your role, regardless of your race. When we get in that classroom, when we get in these schools, and this speaks to school leadership, we have to make sure that we have a culture of teaching all kids. And that's why I'm blessed in my experience with the leadership that I have worked in, worked with in the past and the leader I hope to become in order to increase data, in order to increase student achievement and close that achievement gap, you have got to focus on subgroups. So African-Americans typically at most schools are subgroups. Even if in population, they're the majority in terms of academic achievement, typically our black males are the minority. And so we've got to focus on subgroups. We've got to do the research. We've got to create a plan. We've got to set goals. And we've got to check and evaluate the system that we're using to make sure that those strategies are effective. If they're not effective, then we have to go back to the drawing board and we have to create or agree upon new strategies that actually work and that you know we can, we can execute. A huge part of closing the achievement gap is execution. And I'm sure that chemistry teacher is a great teacher. Or let me not say great. He's probably a really good teacher. But if you're not teaching to all students, if you're not doing the necessary grunt work to reach all students, then you're a part of the problem. White kids are already statistically doing well. We need all kids to statistically do well. All of them. So I was very disheartened and disappointed to see, you know, or to hear rather, this chemistry teacher state this. Very disappointed. So moving on with Keyshawn. Uh, and I love how, you know, we get the film footage where we're seeing the kids in school. We're seeing them. Uh, interact with their peers as well as with their teachers. And we also get solo interviews. And so during the solo interviews, it's revealed to us just how intelligent and insightful Keyshawn actually is. I guess I noticed probably freshman year, just being a black male, like some of the teachers would treat me a different way, like, they already knew who I was. So I, but I can relate to Keyshawn in elementary school and middle school. And I went to a gifted and talented middle school and again in high school. And I had great relationships with, I'll say 98.9% of my teachers. And that's just based on memory. I had great relationships with them, but I believe I had great relationships with my teachers, including my professors, especially at my undergraduate, uh, Tennessee State University. I had great relationships with them because I always felt like I needed to go a hundred times harder than the next man, whether that man was white, Asian, whatever it was, to separate myself 
And that was all the way back to elementary school where they tried to skip me three different occasions. And my mom said no, because she didn't want me to be socially awkward. And I already was the youngest in my class because I started school very early. So my heart goes out to Keyshawn and other black males like him. These kids are not dumb. They might goof off in your class. They might make the learning environment a little chaotic and you just want to kick them out. But I beg of you, build rapport and relationship with these kids. I've taught Keyshawns before. You have to build relationships with them. They have to know that you actually love them. Not like them. Love them. And if you don't love them, find something about them. These kids are usually the most charming. And, and say what you will. And look, I am the black scholar. And I believe in being academically astute. And I believe in reading and literacy and writing and numeracy and, and STEM. I believe in all those nerdy things. And coding, I'm into it. I'm all about it. I was on the chess club. I was on a debate team. I did forensics. I was every bit that nerd in high school, except I was cool and played sports and didn't have an issue getting a date. But I was very much a nerd. Keyshawn doesn't want to be a nerd. But he has insightfulness that you can't teach. He has perception of the world and an analytical thinking ability that you can't teach. It's innate. It's in him. And like that science teacher, that chemistry teacher said, Keyshawn didn't struggle with the work. He just didn't achieve. What we have to make sure we do is that we built rapport with students like Keyshawn we built relationships with students like Keyshawn. So when we see him struggling, we're getting an honest answer. We're getting a transparent answer on why are you struggling in this class? And then the next episode, which I won't give too much away, we do see him talking with one of his English teachers and he has below a 20. And because they have that rapport, She's able to make a pact or an agreement with him to help get his grade up. We can't go into the classroom and just automatically assume like, hey, everybody's going to do what I tell them to do. Everything's going to work perfect with each lesson plan every single day. And these kids are going to do the work because I am who I am. And this is school. And that's just the way things are going to be. You have to check yourself. These kids don't care about school like maybe you and I cared about school in our days. So part of being an educator, regardless of your role, regardless of your race or ethnicity, is that you've got to be flexible. Just because the K-12 public educational paradigm is broken, and I'm willing to debate anybody, it's broken. You have to be the leader in your classroom. You have to be the leader in your school, in your district, in your state. And you've got to do everything you can do within reason to be flexible and make the adjustments to fit the personnel. You have to adapt your coaching 
your teaching, your leadership style and techniques to your personnel. And that's not just students. If you're a school leader, you need to be looking at your faculty and staff. You need to get to know your faculty and staff. You need to figure out what's going to be the best way to get them to overachieve. That's how we close the achievement gap. We've got to overachieve. And back to the assistant principal, in the context of Oak Park, Illinois, she mentions they've struggled with race. At this school, they have struggled with race. And that they need to learn that diversity is not the same as equity. Diversity is not the same as equity. So then we uh, move to the school board instructional committee meeting. And so now we get into the data. I thought the data was really interesting. The racial disparities that concerned us in 2003 are essentially unchanged. Um, uh, we're um, preparing our black students less well, I guess you could say, to compete with their peers. For the first time in 12 years, the school has done a comprehensive charting of the racial disparities in test scores. While our white students have experienced gains of 2.3... The blue line, representing white test scores, shows significant improvements since 2003. The green, black student scores, shows virtually no improvement. The gap between them has grown. And the extent to which they are sort of gaining on the state average is very slow. At that rate of change, it would take 75 years for our, for our black students to achieve at the state average. So we're shown a chart uh, of a comprehensive study done over the last 12 years from 2003 to 2015. The ACT composite, which looking at a high school, that's the data you really want to focus on uh, to predict success for kids as they move on to the next level, which is college. And there was growth for whites over those 12 years. They went from 25.1 average composite score to 27.4. Look at that in comparison to blacks. Black students went from 18.4 in 2003 to an average of 19.1, which is a 0.7 growth which is growth, but over a span of 12 years, it doesn't match what these students, uh, these white students have done. The comprehensive charting of test scores over 12 years also revealed that the blacks, the black students are significantly below the state average. And in this committee, they're trying to get the students up to par. Um, and we're introduced to Amy Hill the Director of Assessment and Research. She admitted that the high school wasn't doing a good job of preparing black students for success. There's one lady that you guys will notice is an African-American woman who is a part of the school board and she is absolutely fabulous. She is absolutely fabulous and I look forward to learning more about her and I wanna see more of her on this docu-series. But the point of showing this is that the achievement gap is widening. But we see this at so many of our schools, whether we teach elementary, middle, or high school. So then we go back to Grant. So Grant is in his world studies class. There are two teachers present in class. Um, they ask the students to write about who they are. 
My dad told me there's different things that come with being looked at as African-American. Guys, be thoughtful. Really think about this. Don't just put the first thing that comes to your mind. There was always this weird thing when I met someone that at some point race came up and I have to bring up, oh no, I'm not, I'm not actually black, I'm, I'm biracial. So let's just start with the first question only. Who are you? Well, Grant. I'm Grant Montgomery Lee, a teenage biracial heterosexual male who is son of Miles and Kathleen Lee, an older brother of Jackson Lee. And I'm nice and a good determined student who likes to play soccer and likes to act. Awesome. Cool, 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 cool. How about, how are you seen by the world? Who can share that with me? Go for it. Mexican. What does that mean, right? A lot of people I talk to think I'm Hispanic. Right, and what are you? Filipino. Filipino, okay. So they're mistaking your ethnicity. I think sometimes people judge me. They like perceive me as someone who doesn't want to be black or would rather be white. I think there was one time someone said, like, oh, you talk really white. What does that mean? I'm just speaking English. I'm told I talk white constantly by um, black kids, and then I'm told constantly by white kids that I don't act like a regular black girl. Mm -hmm. I just feel like I wouldn't really want to be one race. Who thinks that they're a little different on the inside than how they appear on the outside? Eventually, like, the general skin color of the world will just be the mix of everyone. So this is one thing that made me realize, and I wrote this question down and I'm going to ask you guys. Why don't we have classes about race? Why aren't there classes about ethnicity? Why are there classes not about culture for our students? And I don't mean social studies or history. Yeah, it could be in that department. Yeah, those teachers could potentially teach those type of classes. But I mean about the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean about um, the civil rights movement. I mean about um, everything that's going on now in modern America all the way back to the origin. Like we're dealing with the symptoms right now, but let's go back to the root problem. Let's talk about slavery. Let's talk about how the indigenous people of America were murdered in their land was taken and they died and then they were moved to reservations and they didn't have many rights. Like there is bloodshed on how this country was created and how this country was created. All of those individuals, all of those Americans have died. They're gone. So I don't understand why we still have generations of this well, I mean, I, I know they it's passed down. But when are we going to do something about breaking it up? Our kids shouldn't have to, like, again, Grant is a biracial student. His mom is white. His dad is black. And he reveals that, you know, him and his dad have several conversations. But it shouldn't just be on dad. It shouldn't just be on the parents. The purpose of education is not just to give these kids intellectual academic skills, but we should also be giving them life skills. We should also be giving them history and historical lessons that help them be more aware and confident of who they are. 
you know, as we deal with this COVID, as we go into, you know, this chaos of whatever this next school year is going to be, this is something that has to be addressed with the curriculum. Schools were meant to be comprehensive. Schools were designed to address communities. But none of that has happened, especially now. And I get it. Everything's underfunded. We'll add more money. We just unnecessarily added. And I, let me correct myself with that because I don't want to offend anybody. But that $1,200 stimulus check, maybe it helps some people. I didn't even get one. And you know what? I don't even want one. They can keep it. I'll be okay. I've been fine. I'll continue to be fine. But that's me. I can't speak for everyone. But we need to increase funding. We talk about defunding police. That's a whole separate argument. But since the current president has been in office, there's been a massive increase in military spending. And there's been less spending on education. Remember when we thought COVID-19 was going to be the breaking point for our education? Because finally, everyone appreciated what teachers do, appreciated what educators do, and then look at all of these state budgets that have come out. Ha <laughs> ha, joke's on us. I never fell for it in the first place. But we need to address our K-12 paradigm for educating our kids because we're not doing a good job. So again, back to the documentary, we need curriculum that help kids deal with their own self-identity. If we are truly the United States of America, then we need to explicitly teach our children, you know, future leaders of this world or whatever we leave left of this world. We have to teach them how to navigate race and ethnicity in a responsible, collaborative, honest, progressive way. I am excited to introduce you guys to Black Scholars Clothing. In this apparel, we've got unisex t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, tank tops. I've even got items for kids and babies. I've even got items for women's athletic. The link for the clothing store is in the show notes as well as social media, but I'll say it one time, teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash black scholars. Use the promo code scholars to save 20%. Thank you for supporting the podcast and enjoy the fresh gear. All right, then we move back to Keyshawn. Um, and she's going to play an important character, and by she, his English teacher, Jessica Stovall. She utilizes social-emotional learning, which I think is excellent. Most teachers, especially English teachers, don't have time to do that and don't make time to do that. So the fact that she really wants to give her students a voice is a strategy on building rapport and building a learning environment and a culture of trust and vulnerability. Uh, 
So what I'm going to do is go ahead and stand up, and we're going to get into a circle, shoulder to shoulder. Standing up. We're going to do an activity that allows us to connect with each other without even having to speak, just listening. So where the wind blows, people who have parents that are currently married, the traditional role of a teacher has been stand in front of the room and tell you what you need to know. People who live primarily with their mom. Social-emotional learning is becoming more acceptable. Who live in foster care. But we still have a ways to go with teachers feeling comfortable learning about their students, their backgrounds of their students, and then providing spaces for students to actually express how they really feel. Because it's not always what teachers are going to want to hear. Where the wind blows, people who have ever had a positive racial experience. <laughs> Where the wind blows, people who have ever had a negative racial experience. People who wouldn't change a single thing about themselves. What's interesting about Keyshawn is he has an incredible wall. He is not okay with showing vulnerability. People who generally like school. Or people who generally hate school. He's not okay with showing any sort of fear or ambivalent about it. He'll go either way. Or anything that's not going to make him seem tough. I feel like I'm getting a sense of who you are as humans. That wall, I think, is actually preventing him from accepting some of the help that he might need to be successful. He doesn't want to rely on anyone. Going on, and I just feel like very present and something that I appreciate that. I like that everyone shared was being honest about their parents. I know that these behaviors are, are symptoms of a larger issue that I've yet to uncover, and he knows that. In some ways, he's his own worst enemy. Have enough time to do a couple of things with your homework from last night. He's not okay with showing vulnerability. How can we change that? That's why I'm asking you guys. You guys have black and brown students, especially male students, who have a wall up for whatever reason. Maybe it's their parents' previous experience in the K-12 system. Maybe it's their own. And remember what we said, what Keyshawn said to the camera. Since his freshman year of being at this high school, he has been ostracized, stigmatized. There is bias that he recognizes in his teachers. And there's not many black educators at the school, which was part of the purpose of the Black Lives Matter meeting that started this entire controversy. How can we break the walls of our kids that we teach, especially our black and brown males? How can we as educators 
help our black male students realize it's okay to drop that wall. It's okay to show fear. It's okay to show vulnerability. It's okay to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to be emotional. It's okay. Jessica Stovall, his English teacher, has got it. Part of it, social emotional learning. Last thing she says, in some ways, in reference to Keyshawn, He's his own worst enemy. Do we really want to talk about self-sabotage in black America? How many of us or how many people that, that we know, that you know, should be at a higher stratosphere in life? Whether it's spiritually, financially, emotionally, family-wise, relationship-wise, all of the above. I'm raising my hand. I am the product of self-sabotage. It's the reason why I have a therapist. This is me being candid, vulnerable, honest, transparent with you guys. But I'm a 36-year-old male. Have I always been that way? I'd like to think so. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe I wasn't. I used to have a temper problem. A really bad temper when I was younger. I was a great student. I've always been academically astute. But I do feel like my former temper was a wall. And we don't see it, at least not yet. But I'm pretty sure Keyshawn can relate to what I just said. I bet Keyshawn has a temper. As great of a smile that he has, as likable as he had, as he is, as charming as he is, I guarantee Keyshawn probably has a temper. And I don't know Keyshawn. He's from Chicago. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We're close, but there's still huge cultural differences. There's a huge separation of age between me and that young man. But I bet him and I can have a conversation. And I bet that conversation would be insightful and intense. There is a cohesive experience that all black American males go through. There is a cohesive collective experience that all black people go through. Not even in just America, but in the universe, on this globe. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't. Unless it was positive, and it's not for many of us. These kids are great. I'm going to be honest. From Grant to Tierra to Charles, to Terrence, to Keyshawn. They chose the right kids to follow. And as we move into episode two, there are a few more characters or uh, individuals that we'll be introduced to. But these are the mainstays. Along with the teachers, the assistant principal, the actual principal did not and refused to be interviewed. The superintendent refused to be interviewed. And... Uh, what was her position? Amy, Amy, Amy Hill, the director of assessment and research who spoke at the school board instructional committee meeting. She did not want to be interviewed. OK, so those are three uh, major players. Hold vital roles in what they're trying to accomplish in this high school. And they don't want to be interviewed, which is, you know, a whole separate issue. But um, these kids are great. 
But we've got to do something about the achievement gap. We've got to do something about the achievement gap. In my training, in my experience, it starts with the data. It starts with building rapport. And it starts with analyzing the data with the heart of gold and with the spirit of urgency. Because you have to, there's a, there should be a sense of urgency. A school year is what, nine, ten months long? You have to have a spirit of urgency when you're trying to repair something that's broken. Imagine you got stabbed or shot and you had to go to the emergency room. The nurses, the doctors, the medical staff are going to move and act and think with a sense of urgency. Because if they don't, there are negative consequences which will dramatically impact your life. Dramatically. So with that sense of urgency, their training kicks in the gear and they're going to do everything possible and make the best decisions possible with your best interests at heart of saving your life. So if we as educators operate in the same matter and perspective, that the work that we do is so important to society that it's changing lives. I'm in the business as an educator of changing lives. Are you? Be honest. Be vulnerable. If you're not, you've got to get out of this profession. Just being honest. So as we continue this docu-series, I'm going to continue to challenge you guys. I'm going to continue to challenge myself. I'm going to continue to be vulnerable, honest, and transparent. But this is what we needed. And if you've already seen this, oh man, send me a message. Send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or send me an email, theblackscholars at gmail.com. Excuse me, theblackscholarspodcast at gmail.com. Until next episode, I'm out. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa. Never leave, so it wasn't no slaves in our history. When no slave ships, when no misery, call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep and I had a dream, it was all.